Welcome to the Good Reading Podcast, proudly sponsored by Book People Gift Cards. A Book People gift card is the perfect gift for readers of all ages. Simply order your gift card online at bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au. Redeem at any one of over 500 bookshops across Australia. Visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au. The inside was rhyming crusted and a powdering of snow lay over everything, but they could make out their old friends clearly. Wilson lay on the right and Bowers to the left. Both were in their reindeer bags, arms crossed, peaceful, as if having fallen gently to sleep. Between them was Scott, whose end must have involved one last struggle. His bag flaps had been thrown aside, his coat ripped open, and his left arm was reaching over his old friend Wilson's body as if to protect him. Their pinched faces and exposed skin were translucent, frozen solid, the colour of alabaster, except for the painful-looking frostbite that covered them. Where are Oates and Evans? The others padded up slowly. Let them all see, Atkinson said. In the sombre silence, broken only by the bark of tethered dogs and the crunch of soft-soled finesco on thinly snowed ice, the men took turns seeing their dead friends while the officers set up the camp. Bill Lashley, Scott's loyal man, was sobbing. Cherry, you, Silas and I will collect their possessions. Be thorough, gentlemen. I'll collect Scott's things. Silas, you get birdies and you, Cherry, can deal with Bill's. I'll go first. With the other two watching, Atkinson knelt carefully beside Scott and reached for the small leather pouch in which Scott kept his journals. It was lying under his left shoulder, wedged tight against the ground sheet. He looked back at the other two, then, as gently as he could, lifted Scott's outstretched arm to free the object from its owner's final possession. There was a crack, which in the desolate quietness of the camp sounded like a gunshot. Cherry Garrard flinched, a look of total horror on his face. It's all right, Cherry, Atkinson said. The captain's arm has broken, that's all. Dennis Glover is one of Australia's leading speechwriters and political commentators. He is the author of two novels, The Last Man in Europe and Factory 19. Today, I'm talking to Dennis Glover about his latest novel, Thor. Dennis, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thanks for having me. No easier place on earth to become disoriented and lost, are some of the opening words of Thor. Thor takes the reader deep into the world of polar exploration, initially into that of Robert Falcon Scott and the failed Terra Nova expedition of 1910 to 1913. That expedition might be described as heroic or as foolhardy, but what's your own perspective on Robert F. Scott and that ill-fated expedition? Every generation has its own way of seeing the Scott expedition. Initially, they were seen as heroic members of the British Empire. Over time, this changed. During the 1970s, there was a movement that viewed Scott as a member of the, the ruling class and incompetent, um, someone representing the decline of England in the 1970s. That sort of view has held sway for a long time. Right now, the dominant view of Scott is that he was he and his expedition were scientists. It was a great scientific expedition that tried to come to grips with Antarctica and understand it. I mean, there were others like Shackleton who were famous explorers in Antarctica, but they didn't take huge scientific staff with them and their expeditions went 
focused on science. And I think in the age of climate change, this is the way that we should understand Scott and what he did. There's certainly a big focus on science uh, as part of this book, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But the party that made the final attempt on the South Pole, they were along with Scott, were Henry Bowers, Edgar Evans, Dr Edward Wilson, the chief scientist, and Lawrence Oates. Uh, in the process of your research and in the context of writing historical fiction, what gave you such insight into their individual characters and to the social dynamic between them? The Scott Expedition is one of the best um, recorded and most written about scientific expeditions of all time. Um, Scott's diary was famously, of course, found in the tent along with their dead bodies, um, along with the letters that he and the other five wrote. And of course, also along with photographs they took of the expedition whilst they were traveling alone and took photographs of the South Pole. So it's actually recorded in some incredible detail. The thing about this Scott expedition is that it's very, very it's, it's almost a religious sort of journey. You know, it has this sort of appeal that just keeps going, even though it happens now, you know, well over 110 years ago. There's something about this story that's, that's you know, it's almost like the search for the Holy Grail or the story of Moby Dick or something, you know, a, a group of people following their leader um, in the search of some great truth um, and dying in the process. It's a really fantastic story in that way. And um, writing a novel like this doesn't rely on secondary sources. It's all there for you to read. And every time, every person who looks at it probably sees some slightly different things. But I think from it, you can get a sense of the, the character of each, of each of the participants. It's also a platform for exploring the legacy of Scott's expedition. And that legacy emerges or re-emerges in Thor in the form of parallel stories that radiate out from that moment in history. One of those stories is that of George Clark Simpson. What was his role in the expedition? And what did you see in the character of George Clark Simpson that made him so important to the telling of this story? Well, George Clark Simpson was one of the top meteorologists of his day. And um, he volunteered to go on Scott's earlier expedition in 1902-03, um, but couldn't because he was ill. So he was desperate to get on this expedition. He went along and established um, a meteorological station at their home base on, on Antarctica um, in order to collect enough weather readings to try and understand what made the Antarctic weather tick. Um, he, he was, of course, great friends with the people who died on the expedition. And when he discovered that they had perished, um, he fell into a deep, dark funk um, for some time because he had, of course, given them weather forecasts that told them that they would likely make it back from Antarctica um, without too much trouble. But of course, the problem was they got stuck in what he subsequently discovered was a one in 20 year weather event, which caused them basically to die of the effects of cold hypothermia, but also um, run out of energy because the cold plunging temperatures made the pulling surfaces for their sleds um, like pulling along the beach and they just ran out of energy and eventually died. So he felt incredibly guilty about this for his whole life and set out um, uh, over the following decade to try and discover what had killed his five friends 
um, and try and explain it. And much of my novel is is about that process, about his own healing and trying to absolve himself in some ways of the responsibility for doing that by discovering the scientific reasons for their death. We jump forward in time into the present day and a really interesting character, Missy Simpson, Michelle Missy Simpson, the great granddaughter of George Simpson. She's a glaciologist, but in a way regretting her own success. And she's increasingly famous for her spectacular finds of historical objects as the world's glaciers retreat. She calls herself an A-list celebrity activist. Yeah, that's right. Look, she's an invented character. Um, the Simpson family is still um, around and I've got to know them during the writing of the book. Um, I've, I've invented her as sort of a modern day equivalent of the um, people who went on the Scott expedition. And she's a sort of a celebrity. She's made her name by traveling around the mountains uh, around the world where the glaciers are retreating, recovering all the objects that are thrown up by the melting glaciers. And a lot of, and the examples that I have in my book are actual real ones um, of, um, you know, Viking civilizations being um, being rediscovered as the as the ice sheets melt, bodies emerging from the First World War, um, as the as the as the glaciers on the Alps melt. This is a real profession. People do this around the world. I made her famous by having her find some some really famous objects, and and um, she goes to Cambridge, to the Polar Research Institute there to try and um, write a book about her great grandfather, George Clark Simpson, in order to finally clear his name of the charge that his forecasts um, led to the death of the Scott team. She has an interesting attitude to her great-grandfather's work, and she procrastinates over it for quite a long time, then finally concedes and then begins to read her great-grandfather's diaries from the expedition. What does she find there? Well, she's not a scholar. She's a woman of action. So it takes her a while to get into reading the diaries. And what she what she sort of suspects is that um, as the Ross ice shelf um, is melting, that the evidence from the Lost Expedition will come to the surface and she's desperate to get down to Antarctica to be there, to find it, to maybe find other missing parts to the story of um, the Scott Expedition. In this process of traveling to the Antarctic to find these artifacts, uh, there's the terrifying prospect of a sudden acceleration of the effects of climate change, much in the way that the weather was unpredictable for Scott himself. And it's these days not implausible at all as we're going through well, a period of what's been called global boiling. But there's a phrase that comes up a couple of times, I think, when the weather slips a gear, people die. A phrase, as I said, is relevant to Scott, the Scott expedition, and to the modern day story of climate apocalypse that you draw from that. Yeah, Simpson um, used this term himself about the weather slipping a gear. Whilst during the 1910 um, to 13 um, expedition, the Scott expedition, uh, Simpson noticed that the weather was doing strange things that it hadn't been doing during previous expeditions. So he became worried that something, um, something amiss was going to occur. Um, during his expedition, and it did. And, and, and what, what's been found subsequently by climate scientists is that uh, they got a one in 20 year cold spell where the temperatures plunged 20 or 30 degrees below um, average. And in that condition, the Scott team simply couldn't survive. But the, one of the interesting things about that is in um, 
trying to explain what had happened, Simpson um, put together data that was subsequently used by other climate scientists at the time to discover um, the El Nino Southern Oscillation and in, in that way discover how the world's weather patterns all fitted together. So the work that Simpson did to figure out what happened to Scott using some of the data that was found in the tent with the dead bodies was used to figure out the basis of climate science today and informs um, our understanding of climate change. In my novel, um, I've sort of sped up um, the danger to Antarctica um, somewhat, although probably I've sped it up less than I originally thought, because right now the, that term global boiling that's being used is being used because scientists have discovered that the ice, the sea ice around Antarctica is starting to disappear at a massive rate. And for a number of scientific reasons, this puts the Ross Ice Shelf and all of the other ice shelves around Antarctica at great risk of collapse, which would be a catastrophe for sea level rise. So it's all happening quicker than, he, than I imagined when I started writing the novel. There's some terrifying scenes there with the prospect of rain in Antarctica. And that brings me to one of the many disciplines of science that Thor explores, there's glaciology, meteorology, geology, just to name a few. You're an historian and a writer of historical fiction, but you must also be a student of science. Self-taught. Um, <laughs> during um, research for um, Thor, I had to read a lot um, about the history of climate science, the history of meteorology. What that is, in, in a sense, is the history of the discovery of the Earth as a giant machine, a giant weather machine, where all the parts interlock and fit together. You know, it's a quite complex field, but not too complex for the layperson to get their head around. And in the novel, what I try and do from the beginning, in, in some ways through in dramatic form, is try and train um, the reader to understand these concepts so that by the end, when Scott and his team uh, are dying on the ice, and when Mrs. Simpson, Hunter, and Georgia are out on the ice trying to find the evidence of the lost expedition, um, people understand uh, the danger that the warming is doing and, and the dangers that it's that it's creating. So climate change ha has two dangers. Um, one we've seen in Hawaii just this week with those terrible um, fires. But I, I, in Antarctica, the danger comes not from fire, but from rain, because um, everything in Antarctica is designed for snow and ice not for water, water gets in everything and destroys it. And of course, once water comes in the form of these huge atmospheric rivers that float across Antarctica, um, gravity suggests that the water has to go somewhere. It goes into the cracks in the ice and then when it refreezes, it expands and breaks apart the ice shelves. And this is the, this is the, the scientific process for the destruction of ice shelves, which has happened um, in a number of places around the world in the last 20 years. I found myself thinking about the documentation of science and the valuable archive that it creates. Is there a nod here in this book, a salute to scientists and of the archivists of all kinds around the world in your book, Thor? Oh, absolutely. Um, to memorialise Scott, um, one of the survivors of the expedition set up the Scott Polar Research Institute in Cambridge, 
and I went back there in re researching this and embedded myself there for a period of time, um, not only to use the archive and get the original um, manuscript versions of all of the documents that I cite in the book, but in order to figure out um, how the place ticks and how these climate scientists work and how their archive centre work. And I've tried to base um, the characters in my novel, highly dramatised, of course, on the sorts of people that I met in this environment. You know, with the world being in such danger from climate change at the moment, these sorts of institutes, which um, seem expensive to run, um, are proving their, proving their worth several times over, because within them is the knowledge that might help us save the planet. And of course, it's the accumulated knowledge too, right from that, those very first notations of the weather in, uh, in Scott's expedition. Yes, that's right. Um, Scott's, uh, Scott's team brought back huge amounts of information about um, how Antarctica works, um, how its weather works, and what it was made of. So for instance, on their way back from the pole, even though they were battling against time, Scott's team um, fulfilled a promise they had made to their geologist and took chips from rock formations at the top of the Beardmore Glacier and brought back pieces of coal which contained fossilised remains of plants, which proved that Antarctica had once been lush and green. Um, so this is, um, you know, and I, and I have them doing this in a scene in my novel um, with the with the sort of the outtake from it being that um, it had melted, it's melted before and it can melt again. So they brought back proof um, that uh, Antarctica had not always been ice covered and if it hasn't always been ice covered logically, it can be free of ice again. And the story continues to this present day and in this book. And Dennis, it's a wonderful story. Great to get your insight into that part of our history. And thank you so much for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much. I've been talking to Dennis Glover about his new novel, Thor. It's published by Black Ink, and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. This Good Reading Podcast was brought to you by Book People Gift Cards. Share the joy of reading with a Book People Gift Card. To find out more, visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au